Hi, I'm Frank Daly and welcome to That Sounds Interesting podcast. Today my guest is Mustafa Keskin, who grew up in a small village in Turkey, moved to Dubai for several years and then moved to Berlin. He has recently written a book called Mundane Stories, which is partially autobiographical. So welcome, Mustafa. I'm delighted to have you on my podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. I'm really excited. So I'm really excited what your questions will be today. So let's start with you uh, growing up in Turkey. I grew up in a rural village on the south Mediterranean coast on the Taurus Mountains. My great-grandfathers, they used to be nomads. They used to have these thousands of goats and other animals. So it's like two generations back they were nomads. They were just uh, herding animals. They were not even farmers. Wow, so such a change in a few generations. Exactly, exactly. I remember thing with my grandfather from my uh, father's side and from my mother's side, they both started farming. They just settled in these the villages up, uh, up at the mountains. They didn't settle on the, the plateau down uh, close by the sea, but when I grew up, it was just more this. I grew up among the orange trees. In springtime, they used to just dress up like these bright white uh, dresses and everything. The, the Mediterranean wakes up very nicely in the springtime. I love that, the smell of all the flowers and everything. And uh, after that, when I started to do my secondary school studies, uh, my father is a teacher, by the way, and we moved to the city, to the city, Mersin city. And there I started to continue my, uh, finish my primary school and then secondary school. And uh, one day my father came to me, he said, uh, I was a good student in my primary school. And then one of the, the daughter of the prime minister, uh, she entered into this one of the select schools where they teach English as a secondary major language, like they do one year prep school. So my father asked him, okay, oh, how did your daughter enter in this class, in this school? And then I think the guy said something like that, oh, your kid is stupid, he cannot enter that school. And then my dad got furious. <laughs> Understandably so. <laughs> yeah, and then he got me to some uh, less like preparation uh, uh, cl classroom in one. I started a bit late from other schools so with other kids, so I started to go weekend classes in this special place where they teach you extra class. And then I entered this uh, special school. It was very one of the last ones. I wasn't at the top. I was at the bottom of the list, but I managed to get in, and I managed to learn English there for one year. So that kind of changed the course of my life entirely. If I didn't get to that school and then learn English. I would have most probably ended up uh, living in Turkey and then maybe just uh, growing some orange trees in my free time, be a teacher maybe. <laughs> in okay, so following the same traditions as yeah. your parents had, yeah. had, had, had done. Actually, let's talk about that for a, for a moment or so, yeah. um, Mustafa, and what is the traditional life in the village. What was that like when you were much younger? Well, uh, traditional life, I would say it's a small scale farming. That's what my parents did. So my father, I think he grew up uh, running after some cows because his father had a lot of cows. And then at that time, growing orange uh, orchards became very popular as a good way of making money. So he always wanted to have his own little field and grow his trees. So 
I used to spend a lot of time on this, the under the orange trees, just uh, digging the ground, uh, just grabbing the, the grass and then spending like a little farmer boy kind of a life. Okay, but also, uh, it, it, you know, you had traditional Muslim values. And ah, my family wasn't, so the religious side comes from my grandfather. He was a bit, I think he went to the pilgrimage to Mecca city. So he was a bit uh, conservative, but more like moderate conservative because that's kind of the understanding of life, okay? There are five uh, pillars of the Islamic religion, like you believe in the gods, and then you have to pray five times a day, you have to fast 30, time, 30 days, you give just some of your money, and then you just go to pilgrimage. So this, it was around these five uh, pillars of the Islamic values. So one thing, most obvious thing, is that you have to pray. So I remember uh, being as a kid, my mom used to always, I think I was three or four years old, she always used to pray. And then when she prays, she kind of does these ritual movements and then she disconnects from the world, okay? And then I, and I saw her and she was just doing something in this room on uh, this little rug, the prayer rug. And I was just hanging on her and then was just trying to play with her, but she was totally ignoring me. She wasn't really paying attention, but she wasn't harsh or she wasn't pushing me or slapping nothing. She was just doing her thing. In the zone, so to In speak. the zone, yeah, in the zone, exactly. And then that was the first time I realized, oh my God, there is something that my mom cares more about, more than me. That was the first incidence that I realized that I think, ah, oh, that is, that is, that's how I got to know about the religion. But later on, I think I also wrote about the circumcision story and then that kind of thing. And other thing is that every day, five times a day, you have this the prayer call from the minaret of the village. That is very obvious. So it is very ingrained in the life, in that village life. Of course, of course. Yes. And just going back to what you just mentioned a minute ago, which was a very early childhood circumcision. Yeah. And, and I guess that's part of the culture as well. That, that is uh, culture. It is because everybody has to be circumcised as a Muslim because that's what they do. But I think mine was done a little bit late because my father was doing teaching job in a different village. So he wasn't with us at that time, I remember. So it got a bit delayed. So I was a bit more aware of myself and then my body. And then when it happened, I think it left a little bit of a memory in my brain. That's of what, of yeah. course, and yeah. it's bound, bound to have, I guess, actually. Yeah. And um, just moving on a little bit, one other item that was in the book which uh, stood out for me mm -hmm. actually was you mentioned about this sacrifice ceremony and you described it quite well in the book. Yes, sacrifice ceremony, as I said, that is one of the five pillars. It's not in the pillar, but it is, it is very common. So every time that sacrifice uh, ceremony or the festival arrives in Turkey, it turns into this a bloodbath in the entire country, which is anybody who gets a goat or a sheep or a cow with a knife and it turns into this. Uh, and it is a similar story in the Abrahamic religion, I think. the. Gabriel he brings a ship and then to what was it? it's a biblical story similar but it is we have a context in Islamic value so you have to have a sheep and a sacrifice that ship in the name of the God and then eat the meat and share it with your neighbors and relatives but this was one that stood out for you particularly yeah because my dad always uh, I would say evangelized or he always told us okay a man has to be able to 
take care of his family, feed them, and then when the time comes to sacrifice, he should be able to cut his or sacrifice his own, uh, make his own sacrifice to the God, and then share the meat with his uh, family. This is the life of a happy man. That's what he uh, advertised, I would say, or that's what he told us, and he always wanted to live this in his whole life. But when I wrote that story, uh, that because I wrote that, that was the first year that I realized my dad was old now. He couldn't live his dream anymore the way he wanted. And I don't really like the whole process, but I just wanted to help him live that dream. That was more about that. It wasn't about me, that sacrifice. It was more about giving something to my dad so that he can live his dream towards the end of his life. Okay, okay, and a, and a much more detail is yeah. in the book actually, which we don't have to get into here, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's quite interesting nevertheless, yes, yes. and very well described by Thank you, Mustafa, I must say, actually, right. So, um, what about pressure to get married and have kids? Because that's a culture, that's a thing across all cultures, I guess, really, but I think it was very evident also uh, when, you were, when you were living in, uh, in Turkey. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the the path of life is like that you grow up in Turkey you do your education you go to military service you come back you find a job you find a woman you get married make children and then con continue the circle of life next generation and next generation and the best or the most joy for the parents is to just take care of their grandchildren I think this is kind of a bit cliche but that's why always when I broke that circle <laughs> My parents, or especially my dad, we had a bit of a stress between us. He always kept bugging me, okay, when are we going to get married? That happens. And it is not because they think too much about it. So what I understand is that, okay, they don't really think about too much life in Turkey, especially in a rural area. They let life happen. And if you let life happen, and if you follow the organic uh, progress, that's what happens. You find someone, you get married. If you get married, you make children. Ah, okay, you grow children. And it just continues. <laughs> of course, of course. So, so breaking that circle in some, or that cycle in some yeah. ways, um, I guess, um, I mean, it wasn't, was it deliberate or was it just the way things evolved for your life? I think it was a bit uh, deliberate, I can say. I never imagined in my life getting married and having a family. You know, when you have some dreams or something like that, I mean, you, you can imagine certain images very vividly in your brain. I never saw myself, I never managed to do that as a family man. I'm not against that, but for somehow it never registered in my brain. I always had this interest that I was curious about everything uh, outside of those circles like I was never excited to get married or I need to have my field or I need to do this one and of course the fact that you had learned English as well opened up a different world possibly to you as well so what about moving to Istanbul so that was a natural course I mean after finishing high school I attended my uh, the university entrance exams it is like a big rat race. I mean, it is unlike Germany. I don't know. People here, they don't understand how lucky they are to go have a university degree without taking an exam with millions of people. So I took that one and I ended up being in Istanbul. So I looked on the map and I was like, okay, what is the farthest distance from my hometown? And I said, okay, Istanbul. Okay, let me get that as far away as possible from my hometown. <laughs> Okay, so so the kind of a spirit of adventure in some yes. ways, really, that you wanted to go out into the world, yes. I guess, and, and find new things. So, what was it? Uh, you were in uh, Istanbul for quite a number of years. 
1995 till 2006, 11 years. So I studied five years, worked uh, six years, and then I left. And you were working for a company uh, in in Istanbul when you left. So I worked for three companies in Istanbul after the university. I graduated with the millennium, turn of the millennium, the year 2000. And uh, I worked for a first company was a Turkish company. Two months I worked for there. And I said, oh my God, this is not my thing. And then I looked for another job I found there and I worked in that company a year and a half. And then they had some financial issues and then I joined another one, a Turk company, a Turkish local company. And two years there, I was still within Turkey, just exposed to Turkish culture. And then I ended up, the third job, I ended up uh, finding a job in an international company. Okay, okay. And yeah, I guess that, that really changed your that life. That changed the direction. Uh, that was kind of, because I was, so all my friends at the university, they went to United States or somewhere else to do PhDs. So that was one path, which I wasn't hardworking enough for that. I will admit that because I was, I remember taking the top, the GRE exam, uh, graduate record exam on physics. So I studied physics and after 10 minutes I said, oh my God, I paid $200 for this exam. What could I have done with better with this money? <laughs> <laughs> it was good to try it though. Yeah, it, it was good to try. But I always had my eye to just going outside of Turkey and then just seeing the world. And your company then that you were working for yes. offered you an opportunity to, to work somewhere else? Yes, that's how it happened. I started working for the company. It was a little bit outside of Istanbul, by the way. When I applied for the job, they said, okay, our uh, factory, because it's a uh, job in a factory. It was, uh, we, are, we were manufacturing optical fiber cables. It's a bit Gebze city. It is that time an hour drive from Istanbul where I lived. They said, are you interested? So I said, yeah, sure. And I, I said, okay, I started working there two years in Turkey. And uh, at the end of two years, I had two options. I had to either go to military service or I said, okay, if, or I had to move out of Turkey so that I can continue working and then postpone my military service. So they said, okay, we have an opportunity in Dubai. Are you interested? And I said, well, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was more like... Uh, that yeah. was a great. That was okay. It was interesting, and and you so you didn't have to do the military service, obviously, if you were abroad. Yes. And um, did you have to stay there for a certain period of time, or did you did you just like living in Dubai? Uh, I I mean, you have to work three years outside, and then you could pay for a military service. But at first, it was different. I need to admit that when I moved to Dubai the first time, and I. I think for one or two months I was struggling because everything is different. It's a totally different culture. The the way people operate are different. The way take, the things take speed is different. I was in a shock. Out of your comfort comfort yeah, zone, yeah, really. I, and and actually maybe that's not such a bad thing in some ways. No, no. But you have to know. Okay, I was thrown into this out of my comfort zone. I didn't know what I was signing up, so I was just bickering. I would say for one or two months and. My colleague or my friend, he said, okay, Mustafa, stop complaining about things he said about Dubai. Because I was comparing, oh, back in Turkey it was better, blah, blah. He said, this is Dubai, this is how things work here. Some things take time, you just have, to learn, to, you have to learn to live with this one. Stop comp comparing it. And it kind of uh, clicked a bell in my head or it just registered nicely. Ah, okay, I am in Dubai now. I'm not in Turkey. 
So I don't have to expect the things that I had in Turkey. This is Dubai. How can I fit in here? How can I get the best experience here? And then after onwards, after that, it became a much uh, joyful ride, I would say. And after a few years, though, from, from Dubai, you then had another opportunity to move to Berlin. Yeah, it was five years. I lived there five years. And uh, I need to be honest, okay, I didn't live the miserable life of the old, like the poor labor. So I lived a normally expatriate life and I had a normal job and good paid. And if you are a bit careful with your work and spendings, you can save some money. So it was a quite good for me experience. But when I projected the life of my friends who lived there for 10 years, 20 years, and it is, I said, okay, I don't want to spend the rest of my life this. I said, I want to, I always wanted to go to Europe. My initial dream was always go to London for somehow I always going to somewhere else. <laughs> but I, I don't really complain about that one. So I was targeting long to go to London and then I ended up in Dubai. So oh, okay, this is not bad. And then when I said, okay, I spoke with my company. So I moved with the same company to Dubai and I spoke with my boss and I said, hey, I, I'm looking for a relocation. And uh, that time I was lucky, there was an opening in Berlin and then they spoke with his boss and then I think she was in Dubai and then I took them to some of my customers and then she was impressed with my customer interaction. And then I got a job in Berlin. <laughs> okay, that was, and that actually made it easier in some ways to come to Berlin because you really had a job. Yes. And, uh, and you know, the company were obviously going to accommodate them there was going to take you a bit of time to move. So how was the move from the from Dubai to Berlin in terms of getting a, an apartment and getting set up and all those items? And of course, the language uh, difference. Oh yeah, that was... I mean, one thing I need to clarify is that Turkish residents, uh, it is slightly different being a European uh, resident, okay? If I have to get out of Turkey, I have to get a visa. And if I, I can't just simply go to Germany and say, I want to live here three months. I can't do that. I have to find a job. That is the only way I can move around the world. So that's why I had to find a job every time I had to move. And, and so having a company that actually yes. um, was willing to move you yes. and you already had a job. So that, yes. that one box that, was already ticked and yes. you were able to then just look at where you were going to live in Berlin. Yes, yeah, that, is, that kind of made it easier or possible not easy because otherwise there is no other way to do it yeah. so but moving from dubai to berlin was think about moving from 40 celsius degrees to 10 celsius so there's a climate change <laughs> and i said oh my god i don't have any warm clothes that was the first thing i realized and did you move in the winter or the summertime november i moved in oh, november okay. so <laughs> <laughs> it was just getting really nice in dubai at the time the beach was opening up i was about to go and enjoy my time on the beach <laughs> but i moved to berlin and it started snowing that was 10 years ago and it used to snow here like crazy like knee high it used to snow here until your knee and then it stayed until march <laughs> Oh, totally different than what you had experienced before. Yeah. Actually, let's look at those comparisons in some ways between if you look at the traditional village life of your early years yeah. and before you even went to Istanbul and then compare that with your life in, in, in Berlin. It's like completely different. Yeah, it is. To be honest, Frank, when I look back my life, if I sometimes do that when I go to bed, okay, what happened in my life and I fall asleep because I can't finish it. So my childhood start with uh, in the light of a kerosene lamp, listening to the theater show on the radio. That was the beginning of my early childhood. 
Istanbul was a big step in that sense. It was everything was different. It was open to the world. Then I moved to Dubai. That was a big different change. And then Berlin is a totally different thing. Berlin to me was more like, or Germany to me, Turkey and Germany had always this relationship. So we call as the a lot of Turkish people to come here, but when they went back to Turkey, there was a certain way of looking at them. So these are the people that you think they have the money, but they, they didn't really, what is it, digest what it meant to have that wealth. It, that kind of look was there. So I was able like, oh, do I want to go to Germany or not? I had that one, but being in an international company, it was easier to come here. It's a different, very different. But did you have to, um, was the company actually speaking English in the, in the country, in, inside in your work, or yeah. was it speaking German? Uh, no, it's uh, English speaking work environment. Okay, okay. So, so it that, made, and since you already knew English by the time, yeah. you know, obviously in Dubai and as yeah. well as yeah. here, so you, it was easy then. But what about learning German? So that's one thing. I, living in Dubai, I wanted to learn Arabic, but I didn't learn it. And when I arrived to Berlin, and I said, I don't want to do the same mistake. I want to learn German this time. That is in the local language. So I started doing uh, weekend courses. I started doing Goethe Institute classes. The first two years, I really put a lot of effort in learning German. And it came to a certain uh, intermediate level. But it is never as good as my English. I cannot express myself. I cannot write a book in German. Let's say that way. But I put a lot of effort and I see the advantage of it now. So I... Whenever I speak to people, it gives a different level of connection if I speak to them in German. I like that. I agree, actually. You know, I've been coming to, to Berlin for many years and I still haven't learned German. And yeah. I know exactly that uh, I'd be getting more, even though I, I love yeah. it here, I'd be getting more out of it if I was fluent in German. Yeah. Actually, just you mentioned just one item there, and which was the book. And... Um, Let's talk about that because you wrote a book in English yes. and let's talk about how you came up with the idea for writing this book. So that is kind of a little bit uh, ties back to why I moved to Berlin or to Germany. So I tried a couple of things, you know, being a single man, I have a lot of time in my hands, which I have to fulfill, fill with something, some activity. So when I first moved here, I worked on a little bit photography. I did a couple of courses and then I did workshops and I was into photography for three, four years. And after that, I did some hiking around the city. And after that, I was kind of, uh, I think 2019, I signed up to a course, creative writing course at the Volkshochschule, the community college. I like this. This is, this is what I like about Berlin or in Germany. These kind of things are available here. So, and I learned it through a friend that I met in a, German class at Goethe Institute because I was talking to her, hey Megan, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm doing this thing, clay shaping class. And I said, where do you do that? She said, oh, Volkshochschule. And I said, oh my God, what is it? So I looked at their website and then there was a creative writing course in English, not in German. So I signed it up and then I went to the class and then her name was Jessie Falzui. I think she, she is right. She was writing short stories. She, this the skinny tall lady, she came with two luggages to the classroom and then she opened them and she started to put all these books around and she talked I think five hours that day with the joy and how she was explaining the joy of writing, how it can be done and she gave us some exercises and uh, I previously tried to write something, I remember my old notes like from a couple of years ago, 
I was writing a paragraph and said, oh my god, this is terrible, and I would stop not writing. But after that course, it came some sort of a push. And so oh, you can write this one, and it doesn't have to be perfect. So I started writing these short stories. And at the time, I one of her recommendation was to find the platform to write. And I came up with Shut Up and Write Berlin, which was a good time. Oh. And I started, I said, oh my God, I think this is my... This is my tribe. I was looking for my tribe for all those years. These are my people, and and, and it clicked. Actually, that's good, good to hear that because I I had a similar experience of of, of uh, being here in, in uh, Berlin yeah. for maybe three or four or five months at a time yeah. uh, and writing. And then after a couple of years of coming here, I did find shut up and write yeah. meetup group as well. And it's a very good community. There's yeah. a lot of interesting people there, and it it is. It's very comfortable to be in that group and do some writing together and yeah. it, encourages you, it encourages you to continue writing I guess. So um, when you were writing this book did it take very long? How long did it take to, to, to write? So I started writing in 2019 after workshop. So I was writing these short stories. I mean because the workshop was about short stories so I was writing but I, was, I didn't know. It just started to pile up. So and end of 2020 after a year of half writing, I had this huge Word file and then I didn't know what to do with that one. And a good friend of mine, she is also my editor and poster in my book. She also helped me with that one. She's a literary translator. And I called her, hey, and can you just uh, read this? I'm, uh, can you just read some of these things and like, give me some feedback, please? And then and she read me, I think I sent her one or two stories. And she said, oh, these are really interesting. And I said, okay. What if I pay your editorial fee and can you just help me make them better? And then because she's a freelancer and I, I didn't want to just abuse our friendship and I said, okay, I will pay your time and I want you to do this. I want you to give me a professional feedback. That was a great idea. Actually. Yeah. And it was the first time I realized that guy, if I want some, instead of asking for a favor, I want to her to do it as a job and then coming from my work ethics I think being in a company that kind of understand that okay appreciate people's time and effort and then she did a good job she gave me a feedback and in December I took three weeks off <laughs> with all my holidays so I sent her the whole manuscript she gave me all her feedback she said oh, this part is took me out of story blah blah all that feedback on the side of the word file and then I implemented some changes I sent her back another uh, round of it uh, and then she gave me another feedback then later on she got sick so I asked okay oh I want to continue on this project so she posted the job on her uh, Berlin Scholar site in Facebook group and then there were a couple of uh, people interested editors so I, I, I sent them an extract you know in my work environment that's how I work okay request for quotation of course exactly. <laughs> that's what yeah. I did <laughs> I said okay this is my work these are things what I'm looking for and then I wanted to make it professional instead of looking for a, a publisher and agent I wanted to do it myself and learn the whole uh, process and then I identified one of the decided to work with one of the editors and then we were gone till uh, when was it? Until May. But then I wasn't still happy with the con the, the final status of the work. And one of the editors I remember, I said, okay, I reached out to her, Dorothea. She's also in my book. And at the end, she wrote uh, the, the back blurb. 
I work on the whole manuscript one more time with her, beginning till end. And uh, the cat food story, I also worked with that one. It was a bit difficult story. I worked with a separate editor. And then, but the final polish was done by the final editor. So I worked with one, two, three, four editors. Wow. And then you, you um, I know it's self-published. Yeah. Um, but did you consider that you might be able to get it, uh, uh, go through a publishing at all? Or did you always want to go down that route of uh, self-publishing? So that's a good question, Frank. So that was the part which I... I kind of thought, okay, uh, Berlin is a startup scene. All these people, they are setting up their companies. And I said, why don't I treat myself as a startup and just self-publish my own book? Mm -hmm. Because going through a publisher, that was a really long uh, process. And for the first book, I didn't want to just, I see people even in our group, working on a book for years and it's not ending. I agree completely. I've had similar experience yes. also, and, and I have um, um, looked at uh, submitting manuscripts to, to yeah. uh, publishers, but found that uh, it was a long process and a lot of rejection. Yes. Well, you expect rejection anyway. Yeah. It comes with it, with the territory. Yes. But um, uh, self-publishing, I found quite you know straightforward to do, yeah. and it was nice to get the book out there. Yeah, it's a project management, so I work on a lot of projects, and I said, okay, I can project manage my own book. Because I, I'm not I'm working with the editors, so it's what is it? you write the manuscript, get the editing done, work on the cover design, find a way to self-publish it and then put out on the web and promote. So these are the basic steps and Of course, and the book is mundane stories. Yeah. So just so whoever is listening to this, we can at least promote that to them. Yes, okay. yes available on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, available on So um, okay, so just moving on a little bit and yeah, can you tell me a little bit about the six months sabbatical that you decided to take? Ah, so that <laughs> six months sabbatical. You know, I'm working for the same company since year 2006, which was a good journey. I, I don't complain a bit about that one, but this is this, the second longest relationship in my life apart from my parents. <laughs> so, and this is not to a human being, it's to a company, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. And... Uh, and I lived in three countries, Turkey, Dubai, Berlin, did various jobs. It was a good journey. But at one point of time, I realized I had been working since year 2000 without non-break. I never had time for myself. And when the corona hit year 2000, it kind of uh, clicked a little bit. I started to question my existence a little bit. And uh, life is very fragile. And I said, okay, I want to spend some time for myself. Uh, doing nothing or doing something that I like, just being with myself. And I spoke with my boss uh, in 2020, June, and they were helpful. So they said, I think a couple of people did in my company as well. They were positive. So we work on a schedule, a one-year schedule. I trained the next person on my job and, and uh, I handed over everything to him. So we had that smooth transition to the work. It wasn't interrupted. And uh, this July onwards, I started my sabbatical. So that was, uh, did I do everything that I wanted to plan? So four and a half months is already gone. I have until the end of December. Not everything I did, but I'm still happy that I did it. It was, it was a good time. And did the time go fast or slow? It went, 
I think faster. It is kind of going faster, but I'm trying to slow it down now. <laughs> but you had plenty of things to do then. Obviously, if it went fast, you had a lot of activity. Yeah. Um, okay, so two last questions, yes, Mustafa. Sure. Uh, one of them is, what are you going to write next? So that is uh, that's a really hard question. I'm writing still short stories, but these are a bit longer, like maybe some of them may end up being a novella length. So that's what I'm trying to, I'm still learning the craft, to be honest, Frank. I have been studying in this, the sabbatical break on the how to write fiction properly. Like I was studying the plotting, the, the dialogue, and then the how do you do self-editing. So I'm still learning the craft of writing fiction. It, I mean, it's a lifetime learning. It's a lifetime learning. You know, there's always new yeah. things and people can always, uh, yeah. by reading other people's work yeah. and listening to people as well, you learn, you learn yeah. more. And um, the second question, yeah. uh, which is the last question, yeah. is how do you feel about going back to work in January after been off for six months? Well, uh, I, I think I will snap back into what I was doing. That's kind of, I went to the office two times within this break time just to do some paperwork because being in Berlin, offices in Berlin, I went there and I saw my desk and then my two screens and I docked my computer and I logged on to my system and, and I, I had to do a couple of emailing and get some printouts and it felt natural. It is not, it is not a, it's, ah, I will be back. I don't have that kind of a irking feeling. Okay, that's good. So you'll be able to glide back in and take yeah. up from where you actually yeah, were. Yeah, I think it will be more like I will snap back in and say, okay, this is my people, this is my place. I think I'm happy to be back. And that little break, I think, is going to make that... It gives you a new perspective yes, on things, yes. which, is, which is very yes. useful. Okay, Mustafa, I've really enjoyed the conversation and thanks very much for being on my podcast today. No problem, Frank. It's a pleasure to having the podcast with you. See you then. See you. We could have been stardust, same world, but without.